Brand new Ferrari. In fact, you wanted a red Ferrari. You were at the Walmart parking lot here in town, and there was a guy with a red Ferrari. He parked right next to you. And you thought, wow, I would love to buy that car. You see him get out of the car. You start talking to him, and you say, hey, boy, that sure is a nice car. I always wanted one of those. He says, really? Well, it's your lucky day. This one's for sale. You say, really? Well, it's probably way out of my price range. I'm sure I couldn't buy it. He said, I don't know. You might be surprised. He said, I'm going out of the country. I really need to get rid of this car. And it was given to me, so I don't have really a whole lot in it. I'll tell you what, for 3000 bucks, you can have it. Now, like I said, this is hypothetical, so work with me. But you say, wow, it just so happens I got 3000 bucks in my pocket. And so you pull out 3000 bucks, You count it off to him. You pass it to him. And he says, okay, here are the keys. He drops them in your hand, and you think, I just bought a Ferrari for 3000 bucks. This is awesome. Uh, who would have thought? that I could own a Ferrari for 3000 bucks. So you're feeling great about this purchase. Boy, you're driving around town in your new Ferrari. It's a beautiful day, let's say, and it's a convertible. So you've got the top down. You're cruising around. And you look in your rearview mirror, and there's a police car behind you. And you look down at your speedometer. You see that you're not speeding. You're not breaking any laws. And so you think, well, that's no problem. So you see that the police car keeps following you around. And so finally he does, turns on the blue lights and pulls you over. And you say, officer, can I help you? He says, yeah, I believe you can help me. He says, do you know what you're doing? And you say, well, I wasn't speeding. No, sir. He says, uh, can I see your registration for this vehicle? You say, well, I just purchased the registration. I mean, I just purchased the car. I don't have any registration. He said, do you get a title for the car? You say, ah, uh, no. He said, what about a bill of sale? He said, no, didn't get a bill of sale. He says, uh, do you know this car is stolen? This car was just stolen two hours ago from 60 miles down the road. Where did you get it? You say, I did not steal it. I just bought it from somebody. It's not my car. I own it. The policeman says, no, you don't own it because you bought it from somebody who didn't have the right to sell it to you. You understand that a person who doesn't own a car can't sell a car. Now, they can take your money and make you think you own a car, and then you can get busted by the cops for stealing a car, but they can't sell you a car because they don't own it. It's very simple. We all understand the principle of authority. Authority is when you can tell someone else how to do something, and they are obliged to do it. Uh, just like if a five-year-old goes into his 13-year-old sister's room and says, get off the phone. Now, the five-year-old demands the 13-year-old sister get off the phone. What does she do? But throws a shoe at him and says, get out of my room. Maybe. Now, the five-year-old says, get off the phone. Dad said. Does that change the message coming to the 13-year-old girl? It does because someone has authority to tell her to get off the phone and someone does not. Now, when we are looking at the topic of homosexuality, we need to ask the first simple question. Who has the authority to tell you who you can have sex with? There's really only one answer to that. God. The answer to who has the authority to tell you who you can have sex with is God. That means it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what your teacher says. It doesn't matter what the President of the United States says. If God doesn't give you permission to engage in this activity with somebody, you don't have the permission to do it. And so, when we're looking at this, the first thing we just ask ourselves is, according to God, who do we have permission to have sex with? That is a simple question. And there's a very simple answer to that. A person that you are lawfully married to is the only person that you have permission to have sex with. Now, if you wanted to look that up, you could go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, and you would read that marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. So the simple question to start out with is, who can I have sex with? The answer is whoever I'm lawfully married to. So that means anybody that you're not married to, according to God, you would then be committing sexual immorality. You would be doing something that God says is a sin. And so we need to ask ourselves, in our culture, in our uh, under God's new law, who does God say we can get married to? That's the question we're going to ask this afternoon. 
Now, most all of us, I think, feel very confident that we know the answer to that. If you would take your Bibles and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, and you start in about verse 1, the Pharisees are going to come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, can a man divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus responds to them in Matthew chapter 19, and he explains to them how things were from the very beginning. Now I want you to watch this. Verse 4, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them, now look at the text, male and female. And for this reason, he said, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So, God is defining marriage for you. And according to God's definition of marriage, who is it between? One man and one woman. If there is any other sexual relationship besides a lawfully married couple of one man and one woman, that relationship is called sexual immorality. And any sexual relationship besides that is sinful. But let me explain. Let's say that there's a young girl and a young boy. They're 16 years old and they have fallen madly in love with each other. And they say that they are going to get married one of these days. In fact, they have already uh, promised to each other. The engagement ring has not come along yet because the young guy doesn't have no money. But they promise that they're going to stay together forever. And because of how much they love each other, they say, you know what? Because of how much we love each other, and since we are going to get married, it would be alright for us to have sex. Now remember the rule. The rule is you can have sex with the person to whom you are married, one man and one woman. So, in this case, would it be alright for that those young people to have sex? Are they married? It's a simple question. They are not married. And so, if they were to engage in sex, it would be sexual immorality. In this case, it would be something called fornication. Now, if you were then to say, okay, I've got a person over here who is married. He's married to a girl that he uh, uh, met in high school. They've been married for 10 years. But this guy got on the Internet. He's talking to one of his Facebook friends from high school. And he thinks that he might have fun having sex with this other girl. And so he's married to this girl over here. But he decides to go and have an affair. And he has sex with this other girl. Is he doing anything right? No, he's sinning. Why? Because marriage is between one man and one woman. And when you are married, that is the only possible place in any relationship where you can have sex. It's very easy to understand. So, we then come to the question. What about homosexuality? What is wrong with homosexual marriage? The first question to ask ourselves in that discussion is who gets to define what marriage really is? What I mean by that is, suppose that a, a society, a group of people, wanted to say that marriage is between one man and three women. Have there been societies like that? Even after Jesus Christ mentioned what the definition of God-ordained marriage is in the New Testament? Are there the, the Islamic religion? How many people does the Islamic religion say that a man can have as a wife, as wife? Up to four. And you can get a divorce with just a few comments. In fact, if I understand it correctly, if you wanted to go to a prostitute, you can say, I divorced one of my wives. You can sleep with that prostitute, and then you can take that wife back. And there are all kinds of things that you can do in those situations to get around the four-wife restriction. But if someone says, I want to define marriage as between one man and four women. Do they have the right to do that? No, they're selling you a car to which they don't have the title. It's a stolen vehicle. They cannot arbitrarily make laws that say, okay, we're going to define marriage like this. All right, can a person define marriage as between two men and one woman? Okay, no, because there's a simple definition. One man and one woman. Now, where do you get that definition? From God. Why is it that God has the prerogative to tell every person in the world who they can have sex with or who they can't? It's very simple. 
He's the creator. He created us and he knows what is best for us and has always, the Bible said, made rules for our good always. Now, if you wanted to uh, look into the truth of that, you could see that uh, young people who engage in sexual activity before they're married, they have a much higher chance of depression. They might have a much higher chance of uh, committing suicide or attempting suicide. Of course, the sexually transmitted diseases that they have opened themselves up to cause much more trouble in their life. If you were to look at people who commit adultery, if you were to look at people who are polygamous, and you were to just gauge the emotional trauma that those uh, involving themselves in those type of relationships cause, you would see that one man and one woman for life is the perfect plan for humans. So here is in our question. How has God, through all history, viewed homosexual relationships? And let me tell you, let me give you the answer. He has viewed them exactly like all other sexually immoral relationships as sin. So here's what I mean by that. If we conclude, and I'm going to show you how we will, that homosexuality is a sin, in our culture lots of times we have blown it into a sin that is so much worse than any other sexually immoral sin. For instance... I know of lots of people who, well, I mean, if their son messes up and sleeps with his girlfriend, that's something. But if he turns out to be a homosexual and he sleeps with another guy, well, then in their mind, that is totally a different situation. Or if their daughter ends up sleeping with her boyfriend, oh, well, you know, hey, kids mess up. But if their daughter happens to be involved in a homosexual relationship, well, it's as if in their minds they have blown this sin into something that is in another total different category. It's not. It's just as bad as every other sexual sin. So, if we identify this sin as that, a sin, then what we have just done is thrown it in the category of every sexual immoral sin. Every act of adultery, every act of fornication, this is another uh, bestiality. Just go down the list. It's another form of a sexual sin. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 18, rather. Uh, you can't go to the Old Testament to prove anything as far as New Testament regulations go. So don't, don't think that I'm going back to the Old Testament and saying, okay, the Old Testament says so that's what happens in the New Testament. The Old Testament says that you were to keep the Sabbath day holy, and if you worked on the Sabbath day, you were supposed to be stoned. Uh, today is Saturday. I know lots of people who have done quite a bit of work today, and I don't think that we would even come close to stoning them. So don't think that I'm going to the Old Testament saying, okay, the Old Testament says this, that means it's a sin. I'm going to the Old Testament to show you how God, from the very beginning, has viewed this activity. If you were to go to Leviticus chapter 18, and you were to look in verse 22. Well, look at verse 21 just to... Uh, underscore what we talked about earlier today. Verse 21, And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. You shall not mate with any beast to defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman stand before a beast to mate with it. It is a perversion. Now, that sounds very disgusting, I think, and I hope it does to most all of us. But in pagan societies, lots of times there were uh, religious rituals in which women would involve themselves in bestiality and so would men. And what Moses is saying here is, okay, guys, listen. One man, one woman, you don't involve yourself with two men, two women, or a man and a beast, a woman and a beast. It's one man and one woman here. Easy to understand. Now, we're not going to use that as, hey, this proves that in the New Testament that's how it was supposed to be. We're just going to use this to show God has always had this particular attitude toward homosexuality. Okay? Now turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, you're going to read what happened when people started progressing past God. When they started thinking, you know what, we don't need God to tell us what the laws of marriage are. 
In fact, we're not sure there really is a God. Are you sure there's a God? Maybe there was a tiny ball of substance that exploded and brought this whole universe into existence and there's really no supernatural creator out there. And so this is what happens when a society progresses beyond belief in God. That's what you're going to see in Romans chapter 1. Start there in 22. Verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, a beast, four-footed animals, creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Now look at verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And... As they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, He gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, etc. So what do you have here? You have people that thought they had progressed beyond God, and so God gave them up to their vile passions, and what specifically was one of those vile passions? Men with men, and women with women, committing those things which are unseen. There is no possible way you can go to the Bible and come away thinking that homosexuality is all right. It's just not possible. You can't come away thinking that it's okay to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend if you're not married. You can't come away thinking it's all right to cheat on your spouse. You can't come away thinking that you can marry four women or one woman can marry four men. It's one woman and one man in an approved, God-ordained marriage relationship. Now... Here is what our society is telling us in an attempt to say that can't be right. How many of you have heard the uh, Michael Lewis song, Same Love? Any of you guys heard that? All right. Now, in that song, the main point of the song is I can't change what I am. I was born this way. I don't like being this way. I wish that it was different. I wished I liked girls. But I don't. I like other guys. And so, how is that fair for God to make me like this and me not be able to change? That's the main current argument as to how homosexuality is not a sin. They will basically say, I was born this way. Now, there are some easy ways to, to determine if there is any genetic connection to a person's sexual choices. So if you had two identical twins and homosexuality was genetic, what would those twins have to be in every case? If they're identically genetic, genetically identical, then if one of them was a homosexual, what would the other one have to be? If one of them was a heterosexual, what would the other one have to be? If they're genetically identical, that's what you would have to have. And yet, when we look at genetically identical twins, in 40% of the cases... They are not the same. In 40% of the cases, one twin will be a homosexual. The other twin will be a heterosexual. And so, if the homosexual community is saying, I have been created this way, they do not have any science behind their statement whatsoever. And they really don't have any sociology behind their statement. Insofar as, do you understand that when males are incarcerated... 80% of them turn to homosexual behavior. When they get out, only 20% of them, if I have my stats right, remain involved in homosexual behavior. Also, they go in, 80% involve themselves in homosexual behavior. When they come out, only 20%. Why is that? Well, it's because it's not genetically determined and a person can change it. You see... Homosexuality is not like skin color. It's not a genetic situation. It's not that you were born with this certain trait or quality. It is a choice. If it is a choice, and that means a person could change it, then that means 
that any person that involves themselves in it is choosing to involve themselves in it. Now, let me show you a very interesting verse along these lines. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and you're going to look right there in verse 9. Here's what the text says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What does the word unrighteous mean? The word unrighteous means a person who does not choose to do right. Is a person unrighteous because they are born Caucasian? No. Is a person unrighteous because they are born Asian? Are you born unrighteous? No. In fact, according to the Bible, the text in Ezekiel says, The soul that sins shall die. The father is not guilty for the son's sin. Neither is the son guilty of the father's sin. But the soul who commits unrighteousness, the soul who sins, shall die. So according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what group of people are not going to heaven? It's pretty easy to understand. The unrighteous. People who choose not to do right. All right so if a person chose... Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this. When I was in high school... There was a, a guy who was 16 years old. He was dating probably one of the prettiest girls in high school. I think she ended up being the homecoming queen or something. And he was probably recognized as, as the most popular. And they were having sex on a fairly regular basis. And he was very smart. And I felt like he really wanted to do right. And so I started studying with him, showing him what he needed to do to be saved. I remember being on the sitting on the back of his truck. He had a little maroon Nissan truck and we were sitting there and we were talking about what he needed to do to become a Christian. He said, well, you know, first thing I would need to repent and you know, I'm having sex with my girlfriend. I said, yeah, I know you. I said, and yes, in order to become a Christian, you'd have to stop that. He said, okay, I see exactly what I need to do. Let me go talk to her and I'll get back to you. And so he did. Went and talked to her. About a week later, he came back. He said, you know what? I've talked to her. And uh, she likes the relationship that we've got going. She doesn't want to change it. I'm not going to change. Okay, now, what is that? It's unrighteousness. He has chosen to involve himself in a way of life that will cost him his soul. And that's a matter of fact. That's not Kyle Butt's opinion. That's not a judgment from Kyle Butt. That is a statement from the Word of God, and God cannot lie. It's a factual statement. If you are involved in sexual morality, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't go to heaven. It's just a matter of fact. You know what? There's nothing anybody in this world right now can do to change that. Not one thing. If a person habitually murders someone else, are they going to heaven? If they do not repent, they cannot. It's a fact of the matter. Now, here's what some people think about this kind of stuff. They think, well, I mean, if God is God, He can just kind of do whatever He wants. If He wants to change it so that people who really feel like they love this other person, even though they're not supposed to be in the relationship, if He wanted to change that, He could. Well, here's the problem with that. Suppose I explain to you that if you stick your finger in a light socket and then stick your hand in a bucket of water, it's going to shock you and kill you. And you say, you know what, Kyle? Yeah, well... Yeah, it might, it might, but I don't really know if that's true. And I really have the urge to stick my hand in a light socket and then stick my hand in a bucket of water. And so I really don't care what you say. I'm probably going to do it anyway. Now, if you do that, something's going to kill you. But guess what? It's not going to be me that killed you. There is a physical law that is going to kill you. And that physical law, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, that's what's going to kill you. Okay, now... There are spiritual laws that God does not change. God, the Bible says, does not change. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, the Bible says God can't lie. The Bible says God can't tempt you. Can there ever be the case where God says, unrighteous people will not inherit the kingdom of God, but then He says, but since I love you guys so much, I'm just going to change that for you. Would He be lying then? He'd be lying. Can God lie? He cannot. And so, here's what you got to deal with. Whether you like it or not, what this book says is absolutely how it's going to go down. Spiritually, ultimately, in eternity. 
So when he says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, it's easy to understand. Okay, unrighteous people who are continuing to do this stuff do not repent, do not apply the blood of Jesus to their souls. They're not going to go to heaven. All right, let's see the list of them. Here's what he says. Neither fornicators. What's a fornicator? Somebody who has sex with somebody before they're married. Easy to understand, all right? Nor idolaters, people who worship idols. Nor adulterers. What's an adulterer? Someone who's married to somebody but sleeping with somebody else, having sex with somebody else. Okay, easy to understand. Nor homosexuals. Nor sodomites. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. What people will not go to heaven? This list. Now, there are others that would fit on a list of unrighteousness. It's not like he's saying this is all the unrighteousness that there is in the world. But he's saying anybody involving themselves in these practices will not go to heaven. It's a fact. Now, here's what's exciting about this. This is in the discussion of can a person change. Now, watch the next statement. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, was it the case that some of the Corinthians were committing fornication before they became Christians? Did they have the urge to have sex with somebody that wasn't their spouse, and were they doing that? Yes. When they became a Christian, did they stop? Yes. You mean to tell me, I mean, just a, a heterosexual relationship that they weren't married to, that was something they had to quit? Absolutely. All right, were some of the Corinthian Christians homosexuals before they became Christians? Yes. Did they have to stop that in order to be faithful Christians? Yes. Was it any more profound than stopping fornication or adultery? No. It was a sexually immoral sin that they had to get themselves out of in order to be right with God. So, is it true that modern homosexuals cannot change? It is not. That is not the case whatsoever. Science shows us that that's not the case. And the Bible shows us that that is absolutely, positively not the case. Now, here's what we are then told. And now listen, this is, I mean, this is, they say, yeah, but you know, the Bible writers didn't understand the kind of homosexual love that we've got going on now. In fact, here's what they say. And listen to me close. They say uh, what was going on in the, in the New Testament times was not real love. It was an abuse of something. But what we've got now is real love. And it's lasting. And it's good. And it's wholesome. And hey, isn't your God a God of love? Okay, so when they say, hey, isn't your God a God of love, you, are, you say yes. And they say, well, we've got real homosexual love going on here, and so God would approve of this. Now, let's think about that for just a minute. Number one, who says that what was going on in the first century was not what is going on now? Only them. They have just determined that that's the case. But number two, let's stop right there and just ask a simple question. Okay, I understand what you're saying, but here's the simple question. According to God, there's only one group of people that can have sex. Who is that? People who are married. And what's your definition of marriage? Between one man and one woman. So if there's anything else besides that, it cannot be God approved. Well, now here's the next response. They say, well, hold on just a second. And I've, I've, they say... Uh, Jesus Christ never condemned homosexual behavior. Now think about that for a second. At first it sounds kind of powerful. Do you ever read a statement where Jesus said homosexuality is a sin? No. No, you don't. So, do they have a point? In fact, what they will say is, you know, I follow Jesus. I think that Jesus is my leader. And Jesus never condemned homosexual relationships, and so I'm with Jesus. Now, two ways to show that that does not hold water. Number one, do you remember when Jesus said to the apostles, He said, I've got a lot of things to tell you, but you can't handle them right now. So I'm going back to heaven, and I'm going to send the Spirit, the Helper, who will come and will lead you into all truth. According to Jesus, where there's some things that He wanted to tell the apostles, 
that he did not have time to tell them or they could not handle under their spiritual condition at the time that would be brought to them later so they would then have all truth. So while Jesus was here, was all truth delivered? No. There was still some that was left. Jesus said, I'm going up to heaven. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to deliver to you all truth. Now, in Romans chapter 1, do we see a clear condemnation of homosexual behavior? Was that part of the all truth that Jesus Christ told the apostles was going to come to them through the Holy Spirit? Yes. So if you just want to say, hey, hold on just a second. Jesus did condemn homosexuality because he said that he was going to send the Holy Spirit that was going to bring the apostles into all truth, and that's part of all truth. You could do that. Now, there's a much simpler way to do that, though, to show that Jesus actually did condemn homosexual behavior. And here's how you do that. If you go to Matthew 19, verses 2 through 5, which we just read, Jesus said, from the beginning, God created them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Now, the term man has to be male. Wife has to be female. So Jesus Christ defines marriage for you between one man and one woman. Does Jesus have to say all of the things that would not consist of a God-approved marriage in order for them not to consist of a God-approved marriage? Let me give you an example. I was doing some research on this, and I found a lady who in 2004, I believe it was, found the love of her life, she said. In fact, she said when she saw this love of her life that she knew that she had to marry this love that she had. And so she married her amazing comrade and companion, a dolphin. That's what she did. Legally, she married a dolphin. And she said it's because when I saw this dolphin, I knew that we had a connection and she legally married a dolphin. Now, could she say, Jesus Christ never said you cannot marry a dolphin? Did, do you ever read that Jesus said, do not marry a dolphin? It's not in there, is it? It's just not in the text. You're never going to find it. Does that mean Jesus didn't speak on the matter? No, it does not. Now, let me tell you this other guy. This other guy said, when I saw her, it was, it was love at first sight. He said, I knew I had to be married. To my Gibson guitar. That's what he said. He legally married his Gibson guitar. He described her in glowing terms. She was a red, like Gibson 2406, whatever. And just said that this was the thing that he needed to marry. Now, have you ever seen where Jesus said, do not marry a Gibson guitar? No, you have Why? Because when you define what is legal and lawful... You don't have to define everything that's not. So, if Jesus says a proper marriage sexual relationship is between a male and a female, does he have to then say, no, it's not between one male and a female and some kind of animal. It's not between one male and two females. It's not between two males and one female. How long would the list have to be if he had to list every single... It's not between a man and a guitar. It's not between a girl and a dolphin. It's not between... How long would it have to be? Well, you would never get to the end of the New Testament because you'd have to describe every single thing. So when Jesus defines it, is it that way and all other situations are wrong? Yeah, that's easy to understand. Let me tell you what has happened in our country. In 1970, if you were to look up the Encyclopedia of Mental Disorders. Homosexuality was included in the Encyclopedia of Mental Disorders in the 70s. It was viewed as aberrant and so uh, abnormal that it was recognized as a disorder. Now let me ask you a question. Who votes on that situation changing. What I mean by that is, if our government now says, oh, you know what, it's not really even a disorder now, now homosexual marriage is absolutely acceptable in our country. Under what God-given authority do they have the right to change that type of a situation? I want you to understand, however, that this is not anything new. 
Uh, Nero was the emperor of Rome in the 60s and the 70s at the time when Paul and Peter were, tradition tells us, both killed under the reign of Nero. Nero was as vile of an individual as you can possibly imagine. He had sex with his sister and his mom, if I understand it correctly. He then killed his mother. He staged a massive wedding between him and a 14-year-old boy. And he married on a national scale a 14-year-old boy. Now, I say that to say, as we in the United States of America are looking at this problem increasing, we become very uh, frightened that we're having to deal with something that has never been dealt with before. But that's just not the case. This historically, in societies that have left God, has been a major problem. When you look in the book of Corinthians... The Corinthians were coming out of this type of pagan society, and what were they having to deal with? Homosexuality. The Romans, if I understand it right, before the Romans, the Greeks, about 50% of the males in that society were homosexuals. And they were only forced to get married by the government who allowed them tax breaks so that they could marry women and have children, but they would rather not have done that because of a very warped sense of whatever it was they had come so far from God they were living in a society that was just warped and messed up. Do you think that Satan is trying to take our society in a morally downward situation and position? Yes. If that's true, isn't homosexuality exactly what you would expect? Yes. Now here is our response to homosexuality. And listen to me close. It is a sin that if a person does not repent of, they will be lost. And that's a fact. Nothing anybody can do to change that. However, it is a sin just like fornication. It is a sin just like adultery. It is a sin just like theft. It is a sin that is going to cause a person to be lost, but that person is still just as much of a person. And we are obliged as Christians to love those people who are committing this sin just as much as we are obliged to love any person who's committing any other sin that there is. Now I have tell you what I will tell you what I have seen in the church that I have seen people who when it comes to this discussion are terrified that their child will end up homosexual or that somebody in the church is a homosexual and they don't know what to do with them. They feel like it's such a perversity that they don't think that that person can ever be saved, that there's nothing that you can do to ever bring that person back. It's just so disgusting and vile. that that's, And they're just, they have a countenance and attitude of bigotry and fear toward this particular sin. It is a sin. And people will not go to heaven if they practice it. But they still deserve as much care and concern and love from you as a Christian as anybody else out there. That, generally speaking, is not what they're asking for. They're asking for much more than that. In fact, they're asking that you accept their behavior as normal and good and fine. That, as a Christian, you cannot do. In fact, the other day I was uh, listening to a young lady. I think she was about 22. She had involved herself in homosexual behavior for years and years. And she was on this talk show explaining to the world that her mother did not love her. And the mother was being interviewed, as I remember, saying, I absolutely love my daughter. There is nothing that I would not do for my daughter. But my daughter is committing homosexuality. She's a, she's a homosexual. And as long as she remains in that lifestyle, I cannot condone what she's doing and she is not welcome in my house until she changes. Now, the 22-year-old daughter was saying, well, hold on just a second. Love is supposed to be unconditional. My mother should accept me and should welcome me and my partner into her house. We should be accepted just like anybody else because if she really loved me, she would love me for who I am 
And she would accept everything about me. Does God love you for who you are and accept everything about you if you choose to involve yourself in sinful behavior? Does God wish you would change? But does God say, you know what, if you choose to behave as a homosexual, then I don't care about that. You're welcome into my church. You're welcome into because I love you unconditionally and it doesn't matter what you do, you're always welcome here. Has that ever been God's attitude? Do you know in the Old Testament the Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. Now here's what that means. God loves every person in the whole world the exact same. And it doesn't matter if you're black, white, red, or brown. You have the same opportunity to obey God as everybody else has got. But, but, God does say, in order to be a faithful child of mine, you have to stop sinning. I cannot accept you if, if you continue to practice abortion, I cannot accept you. If you continue to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend, I cannot accept you. If you continue to steal, I cannot accept you. If you will repent and change, then I can. And so what is God asking a homosexual to do? Listen, nothing more than he's asking a thief to do or a fornicator to do or an adulterer to do. He's asking a homosexual to repent. Now, what's he asking a Christian to do? Love everybody, including homosexuals. But do not give in to the 21st century American idea that, look, love means acceptance because love has never meant acceptance. Can you imagine a man who is married to a woman and he has been married to her for, oh, let's say he's been married to her for 20 years. He has explained to her that she is the love of his life and that he absolutely adores her and thinks that she's the greatest thing in the world. And she goes out and she gets a boyfriend. Now, they've been married for 20 years. She gets a boyfriend. She comes home and she says, you know what? You've been saying that you love me. You said I am the love of your life. If you really love me, you would let my boyfriend move into this house with me. If you really love me, you would accept this relationship and you would tolerate us and you would let this go on if you love me unconditionally. Do you know how God describes His church? God describes His church as the bride of Christ. Jesus and the church being married in a very special, unique relationship. Now, can you imagine a person saying, I love Jesus, but I'm going to involve myself in homosexuality or fornication or adultery, and I'm going to expect Jesus to understand. That's just not going to happen. That's not how God has ever operated. And so what we see in this discussion about homosexuality is that God loves everybody the same and He loves the homosexual just as much as He loves anybody, but He expects every single person to adjust their behavior to be in line with what He commands and endorses in the New Testament. And that's one man and one woman. And that's the law. That's just how it is. And so that is our lesson on homosexuality. Uh, we're going to have a time here of some questions and answers. If you have any questions, sometimes question and answer periods go for about 35 minutes. Sometimes they go for about three. I say, do you have any questions? And everybody says, I say, okay, well, let's move on. Uh, any questions that you may have about anything we've discussed? Uh, creation, evolution, abortion, homosexuality, you name it. Yeah, I've got a simple rule. Yeah, go ahead, That's right. And therefore, that's how a lot of these groups or these individuals try to promote this God, is that by sanctifying it, therefore, that love is, is, will be acceptable. 
Right. In our eyes and in God's eyes, and you can see some churches or some religious organizations are going that direction. You see uh, uh, their pastors marrying them. That's right. Uh, two individuals, for example, were doing a marriage. This husband and a wife just recently in the newspaper. Uh, and uh, what they do is they photograph marriages. They go to the church building, whichever it might be, and photograph a husband and wife. Well, this time they were asked to go for a homosexual couple, and they refused to do it. They were sued. They were brought up on charges, and uh, because they could not do that only in business, uh, they tried to put it in the same category as if a black man would take it from a bop, for example. Right. And that's the direction they're trying to go. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be careful with the annex these people are trying to use to sanctify the situation so that we would accept it. And accept it in the sense of that it would be acceptable to God. That's right. And uh, this is the direction I see they go. Yeah. Now let me tell you this. I do believe that within my lifetime or very soon thereafter, it will be illegal for me to stand up and preach a lesson on homosexuality like I've done today. In fact, in Canada... That is illegal. There was a man who preached a lesson on homosexuality, and he was later arrested for that. I don't know how, uh, I don't know how ubiquitous that is. As far as I don't think they're pressing charges all across the country, etc. But on paper, it's illegal, and I think that there will be a very time in the very near future where this is illegal. Now, you've got to ask yourself what you're going to do as a Christian. When Peter said to the Jewish leaders, "We ought to obey God rather than men." What he was saying is, it doesn't matter if you kill us, I'm never going to stop preaching what I was told to preach by God. Historically speaking, here's what happened. If our society makes it legal, a bunch of the church just says, well, I guess it's legal, I guess I'll just go along with it. And they'll say, well, maybe, you know, instead of standing up publicly and speaking about it, maybe we'll just have classes at our homes and speak about it. Or maybe we'll just, uh, and they try to think of all kinds of ways around, hey, you know, it's illegal now, and I guess we're going to quit. I don't know where we get that mentality that it's illegal now. I guess we're going to quit. But it's going to come to us. Will we stand up and say homosexuality is a sin? My, and it, God condemns My mother is a, is a uh, representative of uh, Tennessee State Rep. And she said, Kyle, you know, if something doesn't change, soon it's going to be illegal to stand up and speak about homosexuality. I said, well, so then you stand up and speak about homosexuality and you go to jail. She said, well, she said, you know, you got three kids. Uh, your kids going to be home without a dad? And I said, well, they will have an example of a person who stood up and said, this is right, this is what God says, and this is what I'm going to do. Now, I say that not to say that I even know myself enough to know if I would. I hope that I would, but it's going to come a time soon when that's going to have to be the case. In fact, I was listening to something on the way over here where... There was a couple who owned a bed and breakfast, and, you know, they had their bed and breakfast, they said, was founded on traditional Christian values. And they said that they, they did not allow two men to come and stay at their bed and breakfast if they were going to stay in a room with one bed. And they said, historically, they wouldn't even have allowed two people who were not married to come in and stay in a room with one bed if it was a male and a female. And they were being sued for that. They were about to lose their bed and breakfast, if I understand it. Because they were saying, you can't do that. Well, it just so happened, a homosexual spokesman said, this is crazy. Said, basically what we're trying to do is legislate homosexuality on everybody. In a very rare turn of events, what he was saying was, this is a homosexual legislative tyranny. We should not be able to force everybody else to have to accept what we choose to do. And he's right. That should never be the case, but... It's going to be in the United States of America, and you just might as well understand that it's going to be, and you need to decide that you're not going to put up with that. Because I'll tell you why. Listen to this. And, and I say this about uh, evolution and atheism. The reason that the homosexuals right now are making the strides that they are making is because they will stand up for homosexuality. If you say, hey, a homosexual cannot uh, be a house parent at a children's home, they will then go into that children's home and be a house parent and dare you to sue them so that they can then take the course to, course to wherever it needs to go. Now, where are the Christians who are saying, no, this is wrong. We are going to stand up for Christianity and please just sue us and we will then take this legal entity to court and show you that this is 
a Christian nation that was founded on Christian principles, and you cannot do this to us. We are going to stand up for the truth. Well, they're standing up for their ideas, and lots of times we just simply are not. And so they're making headway, and we're not. That's a good statement, good comment. Yes, sir. Nacho. Uh, I think that there are some... Okay, his question was, if there's a person who's killed somebody in the past and they ask God for forgiveness, then they don't have to turn themselves in. They don't have to do anything to make it right. God's forgiven them. I think that that would not be in line with the concept of repentance. And here's what I mean by that. Let's say that there's a brother in this church that you stole $100,000 from. You steal the money. He doesn't know who stole it. You have it at your house. And then a year later, you say, God, I'm sorry, I repent. I'm sorry. Can you keep the money? Well, nobody would say you can keep the money. There's something inherent about repentance that means you try to make it as right as possible. And so the idea that, hey, you can just sin and then God forgives you, but there are no repercussions to that whatsoever, and you don't have to do anything there to make it right, I just don't think it would be squared with what the Bible says. You know, in fact, when... uh, John the baptizer was talking to Herodias and to Herod, and he said, it's not right that you should have your brother Philip's wife. Well, what was the implication there? You, if you're going to repent, need to leave her, and she needs to go back to Philip. So you've got to arrange it so that the situation is right, not just say, hey, God, please forgive me, and keep going on doing what you're doing. So, good question. Yes, ma'am. Right. I have grown up with a lot of friends for years. I have spoken out against homosexuality and mm-hmm. I have lost most of those friends. Mm. They are so, I mean, I'm a hater, I'm judgmental. Right. And I can see how my own kids are going to go through this if they stand up for themselves. And that right. we are already targets as Christians anyway. That's right. Uh, Bill Maher, you know, crazy newscasters are besmirching our characters and calling us terrible names. Uh, this homosexuality is Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and that, you know, it's time that we recognize something. For years, Christianity has been viewed as good in our in our country, just because of how our country was founded. Yeah, but there's a huge, huge push to... That's right. And so here's what I'm trying to say. Remember when Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. And when Peter said... Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial that is about to try you as though some strange thing were happening to you. You see, to us it is odd that, hey, all we're doing is trying to do right and we're getting our characters besmirched and all kinds of stuff. I asked, how in the world can I be a hater for trying to help you right. in your inter- in, in, for your inter- in eternity? Right. How in the world can I be called that? Right. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That's right. And, if, and that's just like when they called, they called Jesus... The devil. They said Jesus is working under the power of the devil. Well, how could the one person who was here to give everything he had to save their soul be called the devil? They hated him. And the text says they hate light and they love darkness and the world will hate you. If it hated me, what do you think it's going to do with you? So I, I think it's time we recognize that, you know, hey, in the United States of America, Christianity has been viewed for the most part as something productive and good, but that's going to change. And don't think it's strange when they call you bad names and say that you're terrible and say all kinds of stuff because they did that same thing to Jesus. In fact, you know what Luke said? He said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Well, lots of times I joke that at AP we don't have that problem because, uh, you know, all men don't speak well of what we teach at AP because we get that. In fact, my mom has a book called uh, Does God Love Michael's Two Daddies? 
And she's a Tennessee state legislator. And when she was voted into the legislation, you talk legislator, you talk about terrible, horrible things that they said about her from that book. Now, the gist of the book is God loves everybody the exact same. Michael's got two daddies, but God loves them and he wants them to change. And they're thinking about changing because they want to do what God says. They're, they're going, moving in that direction. But, of course, the homosexual community just has called her every name under the sun, has said everything bad you can say about somebody. You know, of course, I mean, with her last name being but, just think about all. I mean, seriously. She has just gotten every bad possible thing that could ever be said about her. Well, you know, hey, Satan, he, the, the world is controlled by Satan for the most part. And if the world hated Jesus and he was perfect, but you know what he's going to do to us. So it's just time we started recognizing, hey, I shouldn't expect to be the most popular. I shouldn't expect to be the most liked. I shouldn't expect that these people are going to act like they love me because I'm working for Jesus and they hated Jesus. Yeah. Thinking from experience, like the school, uh, I know a lot of, uh, I, I see obviously like in the halls and like there's posters that this is a safe place for uh, people of all uh, different backgrounds, sexual backgrounds. And I know a lot of uh, people will pointed towards like the when uh, people black people in this country are right. fighting for civil rights and mm-hmm. what it exactly like that and what you were saying is like uh, whenever you would be thrown into prison for speaking up against gay, gay rights Martin Luther King was thrown into prison for speaking out against rights of uh, like uh, for the African American right and uh, like I find it weird that people go toward uh, the civil rights movement when uh, the civil rights were kind of founded on the same principles as what we find ourselves. That's right. Well, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. You know, remember what Luther said, Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, I have a dream that one day people will be viewed not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now, what the homosexual community is trying to say is that homosexuality is equivalent to, to color of skin. But what homosexuality really is, is the equivalent of content of character. So what he was saying is exactly what we're trying to say. You should view everyone based on their actions. And what the homosexual community is saying, this is, these are not my actions. This is what I was born with. This is, this is part of my inherent genetic makeup. And it's not. It's content of a character issue. So if, according to Martin Luther, we want to view people not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, how would we judge the homosexual issue? It's a immoral character content flaw. That's what it is. And so, yeah, it is ironic that they're using that when that's the exact opposite of what Luther was trying to say. But if they can just say, okay, homosexuality equals skin color. Okay, so if you say anything about somebody's skin color, you've said something about their sexual orientation. Well, no, you haven't. Because homosexuality equals content of your character, not something you were born with. But yeah, you're exactly right. All right? I heard it's offensive to a lot of the people who fought for civil rights equating the homosexuality with the civil rights. Yeah, well, it very well ought to be. It's not at all. And isn't that what we have always said when Peter says, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons? Well, yes, that's exactly what it said. That means that the Gentiles could be saved just like the Jews and the whites and the blacks and the gypsies and the Poles, you name it. But it means that if a Jew is a homosexual and a Caucasian is a homosexual or a black person is a homosexual or go down the list, God's not a respecter of their skin color, but he does judge things by actions. So, yeah, I could see where it would be very offensive to them. That's right. We have to make sure we have the right attitude, especially these young people that are here. You know, we're getting older, you know, the older folks here, but, you know, we are, we are, we love our Lord. The Bible says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And that's according to also the attitude that we have to a homosexual. Make it no different than a thief or a fornicator right. or a situation that a sin might get in. And, uh, and, that's just the way part of this whole uh, scheme that's, that we live in, the whole society we live in. And so we have to love the people, but we have to be very careful we don't accept their lifestyle that's because right. we can't have it both ways. 
And let me give you a stat on this. He's exactly right. Uh, if I understand it right now, 39% or so of people who call themselves Christians say that a man and woman living together before they're married is not a sin. Now, if we were to look at that situation, we find a couple that they're living together and they're having a sexual relationship, living together, and they're not married. Every one of us recognizes, okay, that's not right. That's sinful. You need to change that. But if and when they change it, it's not like we have any hangover left of, okay, yeah, but we understand that if they'll change that, then they are accepted by God, absolutely. Now, you have a homosexual couple that according to the laws of the state, they're married, but according to God, this is a simple situation. All right, now you look at that and you understand that is a sinful situation. What do they need to do to get out of that? The exact same thing that the couple who was living together needed to do. It's a sinful situation, but you don't uh, give it more, I don't know what I'm trying to say, sin or whatever, than it actually is. It's, it's a sin. That's what it is. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it was the most vile, disgusting thing. And what I'm saying is that the, the problem is the problem that comes to though, Kyle, is now we have this attitude that it's a great sin, and that's what you brought up. Right. And it is not. It's another sin will condemn an individual to abuse a three man. That's right. And that's what. That's right. Love All right. the sinner, hate the sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin. That's exactly what you got. All right. One more question, then we'll be done. Okay. That's right. Right. Sure. Right. Uh, let, let me give you my response to that as, as well as I can. I just recently wrote a paper on the definition of pornea. And the definition that I came up with that best felt, I, that I felt best defined the word was sexual contact between an illicit uh, biological organism, if that makes any sense to you. And what I mean by that is some people are saying pornea is looking at pornography or sending somebody an explicit text message or uh, seeing a cheerleader on the TV and lusting after them, you commit a pornea. Well, there's no place that I can find in ancient Greek text at all where pornea means other than physical sexual contact between organ, uh, biological organisms. And, and I say biological organisms because it could be bestiality. It could be uh, sleeping with somebody that you're not married to, sleeping with somebody that you're married to somebody else but you're committing adultery. It could be sleeping with somebody before you're married or adultery or bestiality. But inherent in the word is not necessarily the uh, concept of homosexuality (laughs) other than that can't be a person that you're lawfully married to because... God never ordained that as lawful marriage. You see what I'm saying? So it's sexual contact with somebody that you are not married to, and then if you understand that there's no possible way anybody could ever be married to somebody of the same sex, then yes, it would include it. You follow me? Yes. 
That's right. But, see, what you're saying to start out with is it's illicit. It's sinful. Okay, that's right. It is under the Old Testament, it was under the New Testament, etc. But, inherent in the word porneia is not the definition of what is illicit or not. If you understand what I'm saying there. For instance, uh, I'm trying to see how I would best say that. You have to determine that homosexuality is illicit before you could then say, okay, it's pornea. That's right. But, that, that's right. And so, we once we define what is illicit, premarital sex, adultery, etc., then those would fall under pornea. If, and, and I know that's kind of, I know that probably help, hasn't helped everybody here to understand that better, and I'm sorry, but... Hate that to be the last question to end it on. Somebody asked me an easier question so we can end it on something easy. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you very much for being here. We really, really do appreciate it. Hope to see any of you back tonight at 7 o'clock. We're going to be talking about evolution versus creation. And you're going to see where the evidence is in that respect. And I appreciate you spending your day here with us. Anybody else got anything official they want to say? Go ahead.